Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. Okay, and welcome to Operation Cape podcast, the child abuse prevention and education podcast for parents. My name's Christy and I'm with Jessica Smith from QuickSafe Intelligence over all the way over in the USA. Um, I met Jessica um, over in the Gold Coast when I attended the Youth Technology and Virtual Communities Conference hosted by Task Force Argos. Um, and the Queensland Police Service uh, end of April and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time I was listening to her present. It was an amazing presentation. I had so many notes and so many uh, screenshots of, of her presentation and I just had to have a chat and we've now you know, been talking for a little bit. It's now June and we finally got onto a call and we're finally going to do some collaboration here because we've both got the same mission which is to protect kids. So thank you so much for jumping on, Jess, and um, and having a chat with me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I, I can't believe it's already June. We've The days just fly by, but I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I know. It's just like I, I keep going, oh, yeah, last month, and then it's like, no, actually, it was two months ago or two and a half months ago now. And I'm like, but it was such a big conference. I, I really enjoyed it, all of it. Right. It was a very exhausting conference. Um, but before we get into talking about that, um, tell me a bit about how you got into or how you started QuickSafe Intelligence. So my background is in intelligence and investigations. I went to school for criminal justice over here in the U.S. And this is just kind of where my heart is. I love to solve puzzles. I love to um, find the details and put things together. I knew that I never really wanted to kick in doors for a living, but I wanted to be a part of the law enforcement process. And um, intelligence analysis is the perfect way to, to be a part of that process without actually having to go chase people down uh, in a dark alleyway. So I spent some time in the public sector, moved over to the private sector where I focus on fraud in cybersecurity now. And I knew that I wanted to spend some time in child exploitation. That was where my heart was ever since I you know, had my first job as a work study student in, in undergrad. So I was like, I need to figure out how I'm going to get there. I don't, I don't really know how, especially now that I'm literally working in fraud yeah. uh, in the private sector. And I happened to start, I attended a conference with the National Child Protection Task Force and they were looking for volunteers at the time. And I said, well, I'm an Intel analyst. I have open source intelligence skills that I could potentially lend to missing and exploited child cases. Maybe I'll offer up my skills and see if they would like me to help with these cases. And lo and behold, I got brought on as a volunteer, spent a couple of years volunteering with them, loved every second of it. But it got to be really, really frustrating because you just see the same type of cases over and over and over again. And despite that it's 
a wonderful thing to be a, a part of that response effort. You get tired and angry seeing these poor families get destroyed by predators and you hear them say, I thought we were doing everything right. You know, we we would we would talk about, you know, online safety and we we had good privacy settings and and they would run into the same issues over and over again. And I said, what can I do as an intel analyst? I've never been in law enforcement. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time in child exploitation. What can I actually bring to the table to help with prevention? And I said, well, I spend a lot of time on the dark web hunting predators. And there's a lot of information here. I'm going to start analyzing it. And I'm going to look for the patterns. And I'm going to look for the trends. I'm going to look for what they're saying about how they are exploiting kids, what platforms they're going to, where they're having success, where they're not having success how they're doing it, um, how they're treating toddlers with hands-on abuse versus a 15-year-old with online abuse. Um, I mean, I'm going to start building education around that. And it'll be education that's coming straight from the predator's mouth. And that's how ClickSafe was born. Oh, my God. I've got chills because you are my hero. (laughs) (laughs) You are my hero because... I I have worked in the police. I was a detective. I worked in child abuse. Um, I sat across the interview table from child exploit uh, from child abusers and from children who oh, had gosh. been abused. And I listened to their stories. And for me, um, you know, coming out of the police after ten years, I was like, I was so like you, just so not sick, but so tired of hearing. You know, we did yeah. everything. We thought we were doing everything. We thought we were. Mm-hmm. We we had it. We thought our kids knew better. We we didn't know. We do, you know, and and all I can think of is prevention is the only way to slow this down. Right, right. And I, and There's you just no said everything. You can't, yeah, you can't prosecute your way out of it. No. It's it's not going to happen. And so you have to stop them before it happens. I mean, we have we have to get ahead of them. That's the I only know. way we're going to win. I know, and I love that you <laughs> you're literally using their own. Uh, because you know the dark web is full of nefarious horrible things but the fact that you're using that (laughs) against them hallelujah like I just I just love that so um when did you start ClickSafe so when I I met you through the conference that we went to but when did you start ClickSafe and and where are you going with it what's happening with it so it's still a little, it's still a little new. We just had our first, our first birthday in <laughs> April. So literally, I think like April 12th. So maybe like two, what, two weeks before the conference or something, yeah, not yeah, even yeah. like that. Um, I hit my, my one year mark and my, my goal is to eventually build downloadable trainings that parents can access anytime, anywhere. Uh, and the trainings will all be audience specific. So if you have a three-year-old toddler and you have a preteen and you have a teenager, there is going to be a specific training for each of your kids. If you have a child who has developmental difficulties, there is going to be training for you specifically. If you have a child who identifies as non-binary, there is going to be a training specifically for you because predators target each of these victim sets very differently. And they talk about that. They share all of the idiosyncrasies about their grooming tactics and and how they differ between those different victimologies. So 
I want to make sure that every single piece of education that I put out um, where, where there is overlap that I explain that overlap, but then where there are those divisions between them mm-hmm. that I offer those up. And so that you can pick and choose what education is right for you. So downloadable trainings, um, hopefully I would love to eventually get some curriculum built for schools and offer that up where, when and where it is needed or desired. Um, I've got my TikTok, I've got my Instagram, I've got my Facebook because that's the way everybody consumes education or information these days. And until then, I'm just gonna like keep putting my foot to the pedal and the floor and conferences and getting the word out this way. I love that I'm starting to build partnerships with people like you (laughs) and we can just collaborate, like bringing our experience together, like you've got the experiential side, which I don't really have other than sitting behind a computer. So to be able to like bring those knowledge, those pieces of knowledge together. um, I love that because we can fill in each of those little holes in the Mm. boat and then hopefully eventually keep it from sinking. Yeah. Uh, Well, and yeah, and and there's not, you know, there's a lot of people in this space doing what we're doing, but it doesn't matter. There's still so many people who don't know what we know. And, um, right. and I, you know, on days when I feel like, oh, you know, there's already so many people doing this stuff that I'm doing and talking oh about, gosh. I keep, you know, have those little moments where I'm like, oh, do I, like, do people really want to hear from me personally? And I'm, then I'm reminded that there's still so many people who don't know what we know. And it's really it important. Really, it's so amazing. I, I get that like imposter syndrome all the time and I, I mean, I sat on this for a very long time before a colleague finally said, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you can't do that. I'm like, no, this is my idea. And so that was, but he wasn't going to actually do it, but that was the kick in the pants that I needed to actually go out and, and do this. Yeah. Um, but I was so nervous because the, the education space is, it is very saturated, but everybody brings a different perspective. And despite how much education there is out there. I, every, every single day I talk to somebody new who go, goes, I had no idea this was such a pervasive problem. Oh my gosh. I know. I know because I was just interviewed on um, Sunrise yesterday morning for online sextortion. It was, like a, it was awesome. like a two minute thing, like 2.1, like 17 seconds, two minutes, 17 second thing. It was so not... Uh, enough time to even delve into it but the fact that we're finally getting news to to sit up and listen and talk about it so much better than what we're doing um so let's talk about a bit of what you do in regards to sitting on the dark web like your presentation was right at the end of the conference and it was the best part of the conference. There was a couple of people that were like stand up, stand up ovation. Like, but for me personally, you had like, you had data, you had information. You were like giving us exactly what these people on the, they're not even people, but these predators on the dark web are saying about kids and how to target Mm -hmm. and groom them. And it was so interesting to me because I'm a mum, I have a teenage daughter and, and, you know, parents all around us, you know, I can sit there until I'm blue in the face telling them, but you know what smacks someone in the face the most is when you actually have 
the words coming out of a predator's mouth or a story yeah. that relates to that, that that smacks them in the statistics bore people. But when you've got actual stories, yes. they, they love it. And I was yes. like, I've got so many screenshots and I'm, I, I'm going to have to uh, like sit down and go through them again. So tell me, what is it that you do uh, on the dark web and what are you seeing? So what I do is it's a variety of different things. So I look for the patterns and the trends within the linguistic text. So I don't I don't touch imagery. Uh, law enforcement is all over the imagery and their job is to identify the people who are producing the imagery, the people who are sharing the imagery, the victims within the imagery. I'm interested in what they're saying about the imagery and what they're saying to each other about what they do because law enforcement just doesn't have time time to delve into that unless it pertains to a specific investigation and it's going to help them identify who is attached to a certain image they just don't have the time to look at that from a macro level and because I am a gigantic nerd I love language and I love the story that it can tell about a person or a group of people. And so what I will do is I will use a variety of different tools or just manual scraping and go in and say, okay, I want to know what predators within this particular forum or across these different forums are saying about Instagram. And I will scrape all of that data and I will look at the trends. I'll say, are they, where are they talking about Instagram in a positive way where, and when I say positive, I mean successful, you know, are they being successful in their grooming tactics? How are they talking about it in terms of it not being useful to them? And just as an example, one of the trends that I found um, recently that continues to pop up about Instagram is this managed by mom accounts, which, you know, like I've done some TikToks on it and stuff, but it's this idea. But I don't think most um, people know what they are because I had someone ask me yesterday, what is a managed oh, really? mom account? Yeah, m- m- like it's not as popular in Australia as it is in the US, right? So can you just explain managed by mom accounts? Yeah, so managed by mom account is when a young child has an account that is, it features all of these videos and images of the child and the parent is actually involved in the production of those images. Often the account in the profile will say managed by mom, and sometimes these photos and images are completely innocent and they're non-nude imagery. Um, sometimes they do get a bit risque. There are swimsuit photos. There are, you know, like, you know, maybe like a little less clothing and they're more model-esque and influencer type yeah. of things. But the predators love these accounts. They eat them up and they, they look for them. They share the handles of them. They download the imagery and the videos that are posted to them. They even go so far as to comment on them um, because it's not illegal to be a creep. Um, And you said that at the conference and I have used that, what you've said a couple of times, it's not illegal to be a creep because these guys are looking for these accounts where basically it's almost to the point where you're producing content for them because it is exactly what they're looking for. And one of the things and like trigger warning I'm going to talk about the nitty gritty is that these guys don't care if your child is nude or not. They're, they're going to get off on their pictures anyway. Yeah. Because yep. in them, because what I learned from child sex offenders and, and how they work is that most of what they want to do is in their mind. Like they're, they're uh, you know, yes. their 
the um, fantasy. Fantasy, that's it. They're fantasizing about what they do. So they'll use your child's picture to fantasize about what they want to do with that child. It doesn't have to be a nude image because their brain is going to fill in the blanks. And, exactly. And they've probably seen enough child exploitation material to be able to fill in the blanks. So the thing is, is that, um, yeah, it, it's a big problem and it is becoming a bigger problem. Like I see, I have reached out to some uh, parenting accounts or to accounts and said, hey, I think this the image you sent, like I understand, maybe just think about, you know, who can see what school they're at or where you're going to be or maybe post after yes. you've been to this place instead of whilst you're there because who's to say right. you don't have someone, you know, stalking your family and um, but it's not always well received. <laughs> no, no. I've, I mean, I thought about reaching out to some of these, some of these young girl accounts on a number of times and even trying to just get a hold of like their agents or their parents, it, you have to, you have to go through a million different hoops. And I'm sure I would just get lost in a sea of emails and yeah, they, these photos make them a lot of money and yeah. yep. how do you compete it's, with that well and you know it's going to get it's literally exploitation of children it is literally the exploitation of children when parents are making money off children's videos and photos and their it's social media and i what i don't understand as a parent and as a protective parent you know there was like when i started using social media uh, in 2008, my daughter was just first born. So there's no doubt photos of my daughter in her nappy or, you know, like, because we didn't know better, right? We didn't right. know better. We were just sharing it with our little bubble of friends, thinking we would do, like sharing our lives with that. There's some things that I'm probably, you know, I know there's one picture in my mind where my daughter was standing, looking out over the ocean and she, she'd stripped off, like she was three. She'd stripped off all her oh, clothes yeah. and we were on a beach. There was no one around and she stripped off. And I took that photo and I put it on Facebook years ago. And I, yeah. kick, I kick myself now. I'm like, how, how unthoughtful, like how did I not know that? I was, a, I was just a police officer at that stage. But we didn't know. But now because we our know. parents took the same Kodak photos of us when we were babies and they were in the photo albums of us yeah. like in the kiddie pool, you know, running yeah. around naked. And you don't, we as humans are meant to form relationships, which means we are predisposed to trust. Yeah. It's, it's, it's biologically beneficial for us to do that. And so we don't want to have to think about those things. No, it's not true. something that our brains are wired to do until you become people like us. And then it's all <laughs> you think about. I know. And so, so with these, um, so Instagrams are a particular problem because, and I find that uh, I'm getting contacted now from kids who are being sextorted, right? So financial sextortion. Oh my gosh. And they, yeah. they obviously see my TikToks because we both talk about it, but then they mm -hmm. come and contact me through Instagram because that's the easier way to message someone. Mm -hmm. So I, and um, so financial extortion is massive and this is what we're talking about as well in, you know, yes, these mummy ran accounts and these predators on the dark web are talking about how to groom children because there's this, I, I would define it as maybe two types of groomer, the financial yes. groomer and the one yes. that's doing it to get their rocks off. Would you say yes. that's about right? 100%. Yep. Yep. So tell me yep. about both of those, like, you know, the ones that are grooming for their own pleasure, 
they're different because they're, they're, they're going to put in the time and energy and effort, aren't they? Yes. Yep. So the ones that are going to groom for, for sexual pleasure or even a relationship. Now I'm going to go and you had me use air quotes because it's a relationship to them, right? Yeah. It's something that is, um, it's emotional. It's, it's mutual. It's, it's there, there's a connection there. Yeah. And just like any sort of adult relationship, you put in time, you put in effort, you put in resources, you're going to look to um, build hobbies that you enjoy together, you're going to look for common interests, you're going to look to, you know, share hardships and, and things that you can find in common, you're going to look to to see like where there's this push pull of Mm. energy, like what kind of things are they comfortable with? What kind of things are they not comfortable with? Where can I push the boundaries of things? Like I just got done talking about boundary testing and those individuals are much more willing to take the time in Mm. grooming. Um, I, I was just listening to or watching something where they were talking about like, cases that have been going on for years where there is a, there was a a conversation that had been going back and forth, like a grooming conversation. And, and that is how willing these predators are to take the time and energy. It can be quick. Uh, Predators, I think they can turn a conversation sexual in about three minutes. I think that that's kind of like an average. It depends on the child though as well. Weeks or months. Yep. Yep. But the financial predators is all about their ROI, their return on their investment, right? So these individuals that are often doing things for a financial financial return, it's a churn and burn, right? Yep. So they don't want to have to invest a lot of time and energy. The individuals who are saying, I'm going to release all of this, I have your I have your parents' names, I have your friends, they don't. Because it's not worth their time or their energy to go out and find that stuff. They might go through one or two of your photos and find somebody who is tagged and use that as leverage. Say like, well, I know that your best friend here is Katie, or I know that she went to Mexico with you or something like that. And they'll use that to invoke fear, but it's not worth their time because in all likelihood, they're doing this to seven or 10 other people at the same time that they're doing this to you because- they're going to extort you. They're going to say, well, you need to get us $5,000 knowing that they might only get a hundred bucks from you. Yeah. And as soon as they do, and as soon as you say, I don't have anything else to give you, they're going to threaten you a few more times and then they're going to split and they're yeah. going to go target somebody, which yeah. is why we say, don't, don't give in to their demands, block them and move on because they don't have the information of your friends and family, they're not going to release it because it's not worth their time to go find your friends and family's information. In most cases, yeah, but I have had a few kids come to me and they're like, they have released my photos. They have gone and sent them to my friends, which makes no sense. It's like um, it's like when you uh, a drug dealer threatening to kill someone to get their money, but then then they yeah. don't, and then they, why would you kill someone? Because you're not going to get your money regardless, right? So right. Once it's done, I think it's done. The ones that they do fall more into like the chaos causing yeah. folks for them. It's, it's, it's not about the money. It's not about, it's about getting their, shit. like, it's about power at that yes. point. Um, I like that. It reminds me of the, 
um, the Amanda Todd case um, more than anything. Like for him, it was more about the terror and the chaos and the power than it was about like the sexual abuse or, or anything else. Like he just loved the terror that he was invoking on people. And when you're dealing with a sadist like that, Mm. truly like there's, there's no way out. They're going to do whatever they want. I mean, that's, that's one of those things like, and I I don't want to like make people say like, well, there's no hope because there's always hope, right? Like that's why law enforcement and people like us are here because we want to track these people down and kick in their door. Not me because I don't kick in doors, but. um, (laughs) But I know what you mean. Like it would be nice if, if there was an end goal where some, they get stopped, we want them to stop. We 100%. don't want them to have yeah. that power over anyone. Um, right. So, so yeah, so that's cool that you've explained that because I, I, I like you, I'm not, I wouldn't say I was a nerd because I didn't even finish high school, right? So here I, I didn't finish high school. I became a police officer in my late 20s. I was a detective. I did everything. I was obviously intelligent, but I didn't finish school. But um, you did all those super cool stuff, though. <laughs> yeah. more than I was willing to do. <laughs> um, but you know, the the thing is, is that um, even though I didn't do all that, I I saw patterns in the child sex offending. So that's mm-hmm. what led me to write a book about it because I was like, they they have ways. They they all do the same things. It just they totally do. They are always operating the same. Like it's literally a tick tick one step one done. It's like they have a like a, a master list, and you and you said that at the start. Like they talk about it, right? They talk about how to groom kids. So what what are they talking about when it comes to grooming? Like what's the basics of it? Probably not. There's probably not a um, basic. Do basic. we want to talk about online, or do we want to talk about in person, or do we want to kind of let's find do talk about let's do online level. for now? Yeah, let's iron online for now. Like we'll stick to online so that. Um, but yeah, like online grooming. What are the basics that they're they're doing? Online is, I mean, they got, they got to pick their target and that's going to be based on what, you know, age of attraction, yeah you know, gender identity. Do they want to go after somebody who identifies as a female, somebody who identifies as a male? They're going to look for those vulnerabilities. If they can see them on the surface, things, things like that. Yeah. Um, I saw, I saw one uh, predator the other day who said, I specifically go after girls who say that they they identify as a lesbian and then I also pretend that I am a lesbian and that is how I groom and I manipulate them because it's easy to convince them that I am also a girl wow okay um and then so simply like engaging their target and if if they are wanting to build a relationship you know sometimes they will create profiles that look like somebody of the same sex so Mm -hmm. male offenders will create profiles that have kittens and you know puppies and book quotes and things like that to try to convince another female that like oh I'm another girl and I just want to be friends sort of a thing and then they move into this weird relationship where it's like hey let's send each other photos to compare body types and and things like that yeah but more often than not it's exploiting that romantic relationship element of it where you're you're going after someone of the opposite sex and Mm -hmm. it's I think you're cute I think you're sweet let's move into this boyfriend girlfriend arena but 
it's through this process of creating trust, building rapport, testing the boundaries to see how effective they're going to be, how successful they're going to be dropping hints about a sexual relationship, seeing if their victim or their target is going to be receptive of that, or if they're going to be like, oh yeah, no, I am not interested at all. Are they going to say at that point, oh, I'm actually a little bit older than I said I was. If their Mm -hmm. victim's like, oh yeah, I'm out, that that predator is going to cut and run because they know that they're not going to be successful at that point. But if the victim's like, well, it's okay because I really like you and you've been really nice to me. So I'm going to continue the conversation, moving into creating distance between family and support system, becoming that that go-to person for their victim, and then eventually moving into the sexual component of that relationship, which can be sending sexually explicit imagery, um, live webcamming to to capture like whether it's recording or to capture call it capping yeah capturing imagery of that that live or eventually trying to convince them to meet in person for hands-on sexual abuse or exploitation and then the control method or element of of that cycle yeah. which is then either continuing some sort of exploitative romantic relationship yeah which is fictitious or saying that I'm going to release these videos or these imager images. So it's that extortion element. Um, yeah. Trafficking can even come into place here as well, uh, where they're farming their victim out to friends, different yeah. things like that, profiting off of them. There's a lot of methods of, of control that can come into play at that point. Yeah. And that, that fits, and that a lot of those grooming techniques are the same for in-person grooming. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot that comes across from both sides. Obviously when you move into the online world, it can go a lot faster, but it can be just as fast. And with, with regards to like, I noticed with most kids that are being targeted online, um, the, the ones, you know, these groomers, these people, predators will throw out their net. And I used to like liken it with your fishing. So they'd throw out their fishing yeah. line and they would reel in some fish and they would be like, right, is this kid, is this kid like, you know, engaging? And then, you know, the next thing is they're, t- you know, and then if they weren't, they would drop them and move on to the next because it takes, they, yeah. they need someone to be uh, just as into what they're doing as they are, even if they don't know what they're doing. Right. So I used to see that all the time and then uh, but what I found is that, it, you know, most of the parents, us, what I found is it's like the vulnerable kids, the ones that haven't got supervision. They don't right. have a lot of the time they don't have that um, parent that they can talk to at home. They haven't been talked to about this stuff. They don't have someone to, you know, they might not have the greatest home life or they might be struggling at school mm-hmm. and don't have good friendships at school or they're not connected in their relationships. So then they're looking for someone online to be a friend and these people exploit that. Is that right? Yeah, it really, it's amazing how impactful like friendship, validation, encouragement, and just having even like a one person in your life. Uh, My sister is a therapist and she works with uh, a lot of adult clients who have gone through incredible trauma. And I asked her one time, I said, you know, your, your clients who have endured a lot of sexual abuse, whether it's familial strength, you know, like whatever it is, 
you know, what, what was, what would have, if, what would have changed things for them? And she said, if, if anybody had listened, if I had had somebody who I felt like I could have gone to and told and, and been heard and trusted that I would have been believed and heard, yeah. I like I would have gone to them. Yeah. And I think that is, that's a little bit different than, you know, like the preventative side of having somebody, but, but having a person, having trusted people in your life, having that, that protective social circle where you don't need that validation from other places is incredibly impactful. And it's, it's an insanely important buffer to protect our kids, you know? So like dance, sports, clubs, um, just friends that you hang out with, um, family, you know, extended family members that you spend time with, you know, obviously we have to be careful of all of that stuff too, but like having people in your life who you feel like are kind of that army that you like, you have your tribe. It makes a difference because loneliness is, I think a huge gateway to exploitation. Mm, Yeah. That's hugely like that point that whole point is is that that is exactly how people exploit another another person mm-hmm. that's how predators adults exploit too yeah adults children um you know that it's and loneliness seems to be the biggest thing that we're dealing with in when it comes to any kind of exploitation whether it be through domestic violence through um through online yeah. grooming through child abuse is that you know, that the, and that's the whole point of being groomed. Like that's the whole point of the grooming process is to create that loneliness so that they can fill that void. But if it's already there, it actually makes a child even more vulnerable or a person even more vulnerable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I concur with everything you just said. You know, the children that really uh, that I sat across the table from and I got their evidence from, a lot of them were, you know, struggling because, uh, you know, the, the ones that got out, like the ones that uh, the abuse was stopped really quickly and, and you know, they might have, something might have happened, but it was like, boom, they went straight to an adult and someone did something and someone believed them and someone, they were the kids that were, they were, they were the kids that were going to be okay, right? The ones that had no right. one, the ones that had no one to talk to and they were really, you know, they had nowhere to turn and then that abuse continues because they've got nothing, no one. And right. then... And one of the things I keep saying to parents and, and keep trying to share with parents is that we need to create a safe space for our children to come be able to come to us mm-hmm. no matter what. And if, right. you know, because that is what's going to stop the exploitation. We, it's not an if, it's a when. Our children will be approached by yeah. a stranger online. Yeah. They will be exploited. Someone will attempt to exploit them. The minute yep. they get a device, the minute they've got a freaking device in their hand, someone is going to try and exploit mm-hmm. your child. There's no if, it's when. And so it means yep. that we have to do the work to ensure that they know what they need to know, which means they need to know these things like you just explained, what it looks like to be groomed and how how right. they work and, you know, what to watch out for. And you can do that from a very young age with very, you know, age-appropriate language. I mean, I, when my daughter was 10, I used to say things like, have any of your friends ever been asked for nude photos online? Because she didn't have as much access as her friends, right? And to, But I used yep. her friends as a way to get in like a gateway into talking about it because 
I knew oh, that talking to 100%. kids and saying, have you ever done this? Have you ever had this happen? Like, whoa, put up the roadblocks. We're not talking about it. But if you use their friendships as a way to get into talking about like, hey, has mm-hmm. any of your friends who have TikTok, do they ever you know, see anything inappropriate? Because the kids are going to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how I do it. Have you got any tips like that um, in how to talk about this stuff with parents or with for parents with their children? You know, my my kids right now are pretty young. So I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. But I think, like you just said, it is so important to start things as young as possible. And one of the approaches that I take is empowerment looks the same across everything, right? Mm -hmm. So if you empower your kid to be comfortable saying no in one facet, hopefully that is going to be a catalyst to empower them to say no across multiple facets. And so from the moment that my kids could like speak and verbalize and even before them, when they were starting to sign, we would, we would do um, games about physical boundaries. And so mm-hmm. we would do, you know, cause tickling is so fun with, yep. with little toddlers and stuff. we would do red light, green light or stop go. And oh, they would get that. to choose what they wanted to do. So we would tickle and they would say, stop. And we would stop. And then they would say, go. And we would go. Oh. And the whole point is to, to show them when you say stop, yeah. mom and dad stop. Yeah. And that you have the power to say stop. And obviously you have to build in layers for, yeah. you know, like, well, we have to wear seatbelts in the car yeah. because that is what keeps us safe. We have to put coats on outside. We have to wear shoes when there's snow on the ground and things like that. But when it comes to your body, yes. that you have the the power to say no. And that if somebody does not respect when you say no, yes, that is okay to come and tell us. And that is a problem. And so- as they grow, we build in that same, that same stuff for other things, you know, like if somebody's ever telling my daughter, like, well, you have to keep this a secret. She's like, no, I don't have to keep anything a secret. You don't get to decide what I like. We don't, we don't keep secrets in in my house. Or if somebody is telling her, you, you know, you have to do other than like teachers with assignments and things. If, if a friend, if she's at a friend's house and a friend is saying, well, you have to play this weird game with me that makes her feel uncomfortable she's like no I don't yeah that makes my body feel uncomfortable like that's that's impacting my person in a way that I don't like I don't have to do anything yeah so and helping them have the the language as well yeah yes you just helped you helped your daughter and obviously your son have that son have that language right yeah so you've given them you've given them permission to say no and to anyone Mm -hmm. including and I actually was uh said that same thing to last week I was like we need to allow give our children permission to say no to adults because we were taught you know back in the day listen to your elders do what your teacher says um you know uh always do what you're told children are seen and not heard but in this day now we're stopping that we don't do that anymore and um Mm -hmm. teach our kids that if they say no then it's okay to say no. And, you know, like you said, if it's a seatbelt or something, we're going to have, there's going to be a discussion, like we have to wear a seatbelt. But, they're, right. you know, we're still listening and we're they're still being heard. And that is going to stop them being uh, a victim of, you know, this type of predatory behaviour because they know their rights within their body. They know themselves. They know how, when they feel unsafe and we've given them permission to say no. 
Right. So good. I think helping them lean into those, those, those intrinsic feelings. We, mm. we, we like push that out of us as, as like humans, like that, that instinct and stuff. And I mean, for a variety of reasons, we don't have to get into that, but like, I, Eve, I have had to work to like reinstill that into myself as an yep. adult, to be able to like lean into that and trust my instincts. And I'm working very hard to making sure that I foster that with my mm. kids. Like if you don't feel right, if something makes you uncomfortable, yep. tell us and we're going to like, we're going to leave. Like, yep. that's okay. You can yep. like, this, is this, like we're, we're at this store, like we don't have to be here this yeah. isn't a big deal or whatever it is. Yeah. I want them to feel like they have a sense of control over their, their person to the extent possible. Like we need, still need to function yeah. in society. And stuff, yeah, but. but it's interesting. Cause my same as you, it was, um, she was only three when I, well, she was two when I joined the police three, when I became a specialist child interviewer and started interviewing kids learned about protective oh behaviors, which is what you are basically talking about. And then, um, as she, so she started learning, like she used to say, stop it. I don't like it. And put her hand out with it, like a stop sign. Okay. Yeah. So when she didn't want something to happen to her and she didn't like something, she's like, stop it. I don't like it. And then, um, as she got older, like the tickling thing, right. She would say, uh, and we started talking about consent around seven, six, seven years old. Mm -hmm. And she would say, um, then she would say, uh, I don't give you consent to touch me. I don't give you consent to tickle me. <laughs> and and that has Love continued that. into her teenage years. Like she will say something like, um, you know, and obviously we're respectful, always respectful of her as best we can, but we're a bit of a jovial family. Like we we uh, we rough house and stuff like that. And sometimes she'll just go, I don't consent to you. Like mostly it's just like I don't feel like doing this right now and I don't want to, but she will be like, I don't give you consent. And so when you're told that, as an adult, it, it like literally makes you back up and go, oh, okay, I respect your consent because I respect her wishes. There's so much power in that word. Yeah. Compared to just like, stop it. I don't like that, which is a problem. Like it shouldn't yeah. be that way. Somebody saying stop it should be enough. But for her to say, stop it, I don't consent to that. Boom. Like <laughs> it's going to stop behavior huge. right in the minute. Yeah. And because we were right. talking about it, you know, and and I think you're on the same wavelength as me by continuing this conversation as they age and, and it becomes more of about, because a lot of parents, I had a 70-year-old grandmother, uh, I wrote a whole chapter about consent in my book about, you know, um, age of consent laws in Australia and also what consent actually means. And I had a 70-year-old grandmother contact me and said, no one has ever explained consent to me and I can't believe how many times my consent has not been respected. And I didn't know I could say no. A 70-year-old grandmother. And like it broke my heart to hear that. But she wrote, she read my book for the sole purpose so that she could help her grandkids. And so she was like, I'm so glad I know this now. And I, I thought my heart broke because I was thinking. Right. And so there's generations of people who haven't been taught about consent. And that's why we're in the space where we're at, where people aren't respecting consent. Right. And now we're we're changing that. We're going to change that. You and I and the rest of us, we're changing that. Um, all right. Well, last question for you. Um, so I had this saying when I was writing my book, I just thought, kept thinking, if parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. 
And I'm sure if parents knew what you knew, they would do things differently. So what do you want parents to know? It's really hard to choose just one thing, but I think the biggest thing and the most important thing that I would want to tell parents is to be a safe space for your children always. Like that doesn't mean that accountability goes out the window. That doesn't mean that boundaries don't have to be respected um, and enforced. But to tell your children, look, mistakes happen. We're human. We all mess up from time to time. If you ever mess up, it does not matter the mistake. I will always love you. And I will always help you navigate that situation. Even if you don't mess up, it doesn't even have to be on them. But if there's ever anything that happens that you need help, you have a safe space here and I will be your person. I will be your advocate. I will, I will be your safety net. And if you have to write that down and put that on a piece of paper or do something to give that to your child so that if God forbid, like something happens and they, they are so scared and they need, they need to come to you and they have to say, say, mom, dad, you remember, you promised you would help me to be that reminder for you as a parent, like, okay, I got to keep my cool in this situation and not (laughs) lose, lose my mind. Um, because like I said, with my sister's clients, so every single one of them said, I just wish I had somebody who I could have gone to who could have helped me because I might not be sitting here today um, with as much trauma and, and healing that I have to do. If I had had at least just one person who I could have depended on to help me through that first moment of sexual abuse. So be the safe space for your kids, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. And everything you said, I I agree with, because that's what I saw in my 10 years in the police. So thank you so much. So, um, and I'm really excited to collaborate more. Check out, um, before we go, tell us how we can find you on uh, all your socials. Oh, okay. So website is just clicksafeintelligence.com. TikTok and Instagram, the handles are just clicksafeintelligence. Twitter, I know not a lot of people use Twitter. I don't update it quite as much. Uh, that is ClickSafe Intel because mm-hmm. character limit. And then Facebook is also just ClickSafe Intelligence. Perfect. So Facebook.com slash ClickSafe Intelligence. Yeah, perfect. So if any, I really highly recommend to go follow Jess because she's got some amazing videos. I just, I really love the videos you just did on the grooming cycle and all of the other stuff, always pumping out new stuff. So thank you so much. And Uh, We'll do this again soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Christy. It was really great being here. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. 
don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.